Vocation Fashion Week. Uh, we're joined today by Sister Maria Goretti, who is uh, the Vocation Directress for the Carmelite Sisters of the Most Sacred Heart of Los Angeles. Um, Sister Maria Goretti is actually from my home diocese of Lafayette, Louisiana. So we are both LA, LA women. Amen. Um, and- <laughs> Lazy <laughs> Le bon <sans> <laughs> It's very exciting to have you here um, and, and to have some little bit of home here in Los Angeles too. So I, I love having you here and knowing you and I actually, I don't know if I ever told you this sister, but, um, the high school retreats that I went to called Veritas, Oh um, yes, they are hosted by the diocese of Lafayette, um, or the cathedral. I'm not really sure. I don't remember. Um, and I remember growing up, uh, going to that, that, you know, going to that retreat every year and praying for you and your vocation. And I don't remember what year oh, wow. you went, but I, I just, I've always basically since my conversion, my freshman year of high school, I've always known about you and your vocation, vocation journey and praying for you, um, all my years in high school. So that was from, I guess, 2007 or 2008 to 2010 or 11 or something like that. So, um, I've always known about you and, uh, and praying for you. So, Thank you so much. That's actually really beautiful. No, you've never told me that before. <laughs> that's really special. And I actually, I used to help with the Veritas retreats too. Aww. So that's really neat. Yeah. To help staff them and prayer teams and all of those things. So yeah, it's a special retreat to me too. I'm great. Yeah. That was definitely a big part of my, my, my big conversion at 14, my first time going to adoration and oh, like beautiful. really feeling God's presence and love um, in my life in a, in like a particular, like for me way. And not just being like a cradle Catholic. So mm-hmm. I've always known you. I've always known you um, since I was 14. So that's crazy to me that we're living in the same city again. It, that is crazy from one LA to another, huh? So yes. I like to say, <laughs> never would have known I'd be living here. You yeah. The same thing. Oh, for sure. <laughs> not from Little Lafayette <laughs> to Los Angeles. Right. But... I know. I know. Yeah. So. I'm so thankful for you to share with us today about uh, the Carmelite habit and um, all the contemplative aspects of not only the habit, but about, you know, the order, the religious order that you're a part of. So, you know, we have a lot of different guests this week talking about their habits. And um, I think it's just, again, a reminder that everything that the Catholic Church does, there's usually a reason for it. Every, even all these little charisms and orders of the church. Um, Sister, do you have anything you want to add to that? No, I think you just said it very, very beautifully. Um, I think it's so special that you're even doing this. So thank you so much for highlighting, you know, these different charisms within the church. And I think it's beautiful because every single religious community or every single call, every vocation that our Lord has within the church, um, each one of those is meant to enrich the body of Christ in a very specific and particular way. And then even with charisms, you know, in particular, it's really meant to shine forth the beauty and the holiness of Christ in a very particular way, which is what makes charism so um, just so beautiful, (laughs) you know, because you're getting all of these different aspects of the heart of Christ, you know, and his holiness when he was here on earth. So yeah, so it's such a gift to be able to um, to be able to share in this this week with you. So whenever I think about Carmelites, I mean it's it's kind of like an iconic, very recognizable. They definitely have some kind of like niche, um, you know, orders that sometimes we're like, oh, I'm not really sure what you are or what what charism you're showing. But I think Carmelites are pretty universally seen and known. Big picture, we can start out with maybe the colors that you wear. Like, why are you sure. wearing what colors that you're wearing? Whatever you want to share there, sister. Absolutely. Yes. We actually, we get a lot of questions about the colors of our habit all the time. 
Um, and I'm sure all of those who are watching or listening can relate to, you know, if you've seen different religious communities, every habit is so different and it's so distinct. Um, you know, so you've got blues and whites and reds. There's even a pink one out there. Uh, whenever I was discerning that thought came in, I was like, oh, I could wear a pink habit. I'd be, <laughs> that'd be amazing. And then God chose brown and I love brown too. Um, so, but the colors are very significant. Um, so for us, you know, the colors of the habit, they represent something, each part of the habit. So for our Carmelite, um, they always wear brown. So that's the one thing that is very consistent with Carmelite. You will always see a Carmelite wearing brown. And the brown actually symbolizes humility and it symbolizes penance. So the brown, as you can tell, it's the color of the earth, right? It's the color of dirt. And we think about that beautiful line on Ash Wednesday, where when the priest marks us, you know, with the ashes, he says, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. So mm -hmm. it was out of the clay of the earth that the Lord formed us, um, reminding us of our great humility. As we know, that word humility comes from humus, right? Like, so coming from the earth, from the dirt. So the brown is really meant to symbolize that, just to remind us of that, that humility that we were formed from the dust of the earth. And with that too, that, that aspect of humility, because we are, we are, also glorified and we have a dignity beyond what we can really conceive, right? So um, in being clothed in the color of the earth, we know that our Lord also was clothed in flesh, right? Like he was clothed in our humanity. So it has, mm -hmm. yeah, like I said, a dignity far beyond what we can even conceive of. And so as we um, vest ourselves in the habit every day when we're getting dressed, even in the brown, it really is supposed to be a reminder of when our Lord himself was clothed, you know, in his mm. sacred humanity, and we're also being clothed. So, so there's a great dignity. There's both, there's the humility aspect of it, of knowing what we're made of, but then knowing that God incarnate, you know, he's, he's made of the same thing as us, right? And then just glorified our human dignity. So, so that means humility and then also penance. Um, penance is something that I think nowadays that it's really hard for a lot of people to understand to yeah. that, that aspect. It's a, it can be a harder thing, right? And especially because, which makes a lot of sense, you know, there's a lot of struggle um, for many of us to really, um, to really love ourselves in the right way, right? Like to know that, that we're good, we're beautiful, we're created in the image of God. We're meant to enjoy the good things of the earth, right? Like he, he wants us to be joyful and happy and free and to have good things because he is a good father. And he also knows that because we're broken and we're wounded by sin, um, within we've gotten to be maybe a little bit disordered. Okay. Not maybe a little bit disordered, a lot bit disordered, right? Yeah. So we can have a tendency to actually make a God out of the good things of the earth. And so knowing that, knowing that tendency, that concupiscence that we have within ourselves, our Lord gives us the most beautiful example on the cross. And that's really where we draw um, that love for penance. And again, this color brown is also the same color brown as the wood of the cross of the yeah. tree that our Lord hung upon um, so freely. You know, he, um, he suffered for us so freely. And so as a gift of love back to him, you know, we can freely offer also offer our sufferings, right? So to him as a gift of love and reparation, and then also um, as a gift of love to our brothers and sisters in the world that we know right now needs it so, so much. Um, but the penance and the mortification, really that aspect, um, just to take it a little bit deeper, um, it's meant to be able to empty us out of everything that our hearts are attached to that is not of God. 
-hmm. It's meant to put God back on the center, on the throne of our heart. So when we make sacrifices, when we give something up that we're attached to, it's basically telling our Lord, I know that I'm attached to this thing and I can have a tendency to like go to that. Maybe sometimes for like comfort. Yeah. Really? I want my first go to Jesus. It needs to be you. Like I want you to be Lord of my life. And so that's just a beautiful means that we have as human beings of being able to, um, to little by little to do our part and knowing though, that it's the Holy spirit at work within us. Who's actually like healing our heart. Right. And like putting us back into right order as we're, yeah. we're kind of like the widow's might. We put our little part in and that's our part is our penance, our little penance and sacrifices out of love for the Lord. So it's meant to actually set us free. And it does like it sets us free because we're no longer a slave to sin. Um, but we're free to be the children of God, right. That he called us to be. So humility and penance, that's the Brown, the white, um, I think is very obvious, but it symbolizes, um, purity. So purity of heart, um, the purity and whiteness, right, of those who follow the spotless lamb of God. The parts of the habit that we have that are either white or cream. So it's this part for us is called the collar, right? So that's white. Um, obviously, we have the band. We'll talk about that part in a little bit. Um, and then here, this piece that we wear, we wear a very full traditional habit, but that's called a coif. Um, so the coif, um, we, we actually have a prayer that we pray for every part of the habit when we put it on in the morning. The coif, we pray a prayer that specifically is asking our Lord to purify us and make us pure and clean and white, like the spotless lamb of God that we're following. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'll talk about the, um, a little bit more about the significance of the actual habit itself. Um, but there are beautiful prayers that go with each piece of it. So, but that's what the white symbolizes the purity and the innocence. And then the black I actually love this. So at first it sounds a little bit morbid, like we had talked about. <laughs> Um, before, but it's actually not meant to be morbid at all, but with our veil. So our veil is a black veil mm -hmm. and we put the veil on, we say the prayer, um, that is basically saying like to remind us that we've died to the world in order to live entirely for Christ. So the black is a symbol of our death to the world that we've, we've, we've let go of everything mm -hmm. in order to become the spouse of Christ. With the veil itself, this isn't the color per se, but just the symbolism of the veil, you know, as you, you think of like, who wears a veil, right? Well, a bride wears a veil, okay? Mm -hmm. So we are the brides of Christ. And so when we put the veil on in the morning, it's a reminder that we've given up everything for our bridegroom, for our spouse. So the black is reminds us of our death, but specifically for a Carmelite, um, death is actually a day that a Carmelite heart um, we'll begin to long for, right? Like the closer and closer um, our hearts become with Jesus, you know, throughout our lives in prayer, like we long for that day when we get to see him face to face. And also because the more we get to know him in prayer, the more fear starts to leave us, right? So it's no longer mm -hmm. a scary thing to meet our Lord face to face. Now it's something that as a spouse, as a bride or as a friend, right? Like we're all called to be the close intimate friends of Jesus. We have nothing to be afraid of. Like he's all love. So you'll read in a lot of the Carmelite saints writings. And again, it's not meant to be morbid. It's not meant to, you know, say that this life is terrible. No, this life is so good and it's so holy. And they all acknowledge that. And they all acknowledge that their hearts have just been so inflamed by love that they just can't wait for that day when the bridegroom comes. So that's what our veil is meant. The black veil is meant to uh, remind us of. So, but I think those are all the colors. You brought up the cream and I, I've always oh. wondered about the, um, you told me it's called a mantle, the, what the, I know you, yeah. I've seen you particularly wear it in mass, but, mm -hmm. um, can you tell me why the color and why in mass do you wear it? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the same thing with the mantle that um, we pray that prayer, um, clothe me, O spotless Lamb of God, in the purity and whiteness of those who follow you. So it's again meant to be clothed in the whiteness and purity, you know, of the Lamb of God, um, and to remind us that it's really His it's his purity, right? Because <laughs> we know mm. what our own we can't. So we're clothed in that. So there's a couple of things in the tradition of the mantle for a Carmelite. Um, some of you all might remember um, in the Old Testament. So St. Elijah also had a mantle. And for Carmelites, we trace our spiritual roots all the way back to St. Elijah. So he is our Holy Father because mm-hmm. we follow what we call the Aramedical tradition mm-hmm. and the prophetic tradition as well, which means so Aramedical, like the hermit aspect of our vocation that involves the solitude and the silence and the prayer with the Lord, which Elijah had. And then the prophetic aspect of it, of the actual like proclaiming of the word of God. So Elijah had a mantle. And then when he passed along his spirit, they give that the double um, fold um, portion of his spirit to St. Elisha. He took his mantle off and threw it over Elisha. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a symbol that the the charism, that grace of the Holy Spirit was being passed along to him. Mm -hmm. So that's the first place that we find the mantle. Obviously, it's with our Blessed Mother because Carmel is Mary's order, like 100% through and through. So our entire approach to holiness is it's through a Marian lens, like it's through a Marian heart that we desire to become holy. And Our Lady is often seen, as you know, like she'll come with her mantle, right? And the mantle, so in terms of why we would wear that, right? So I just mentioned a couple of things in terms of tradition. Um But really, you know, when you think about that, like an imitation of Our Lady, an imitation of St. Elijah, um, that holy mantle. But then I think about, you know, oftentimes when you see our Blessed Mother with her mantle, um, I don't know if you've ever seen images, but for her, when she's Queen and Beauty of Carmel in particular, and then other images as well, sometimes her mantle is just really, really long. And it's actually just, it's like enveloping all of these saints and all of the children, right? Like she's just like scooping them up in her mother's mantle. So it's like this tent of protection. And really for us as Carmelites, I think that that is so significant because our vocation, um, which at its core is to live a life of deep, deep prayer and union with the heart of Jesus. So that's the main gift that Carmelites give to the church is the gift of prayer and constantly keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and offering to him the needs of the whole world, right? First and foremost, offering our very selves and our hearts to him, knowing that that that's the most fruitful gift we can give him is becoming holy and becoming the saints we're called to be. Mm-hmm. But in that, like, as we go to prayer, it's like, you know, so especially at mass, you were mentioning we wear it at mass. We wear it for solemn occasions only. So mass is definitely every single holy sacrifice of the mass is a solemn occasion, right? Yeah. Because of what's taking place. And then we also wear it on Saturdays when we sing the solemn salve to our blessed mother with lit candles in the sisters choir. So it's a monastic Carmelite tradition. We put on our mantle because it is, it's a solemn, um, a solemn act that we're entering into and reverencing our Blessed Mother as Queen and Beauty of Carmel, and also praying to be, you know, to imitate her, right? But in all of that, and all that prayer, especially at those moments, it's exactly what we're doing with all of our spiritual children in the world, is we're taking all of you and we're wrapping you up in our mantles <laughs> um, and bringing you to the heart of Jesus and, um, and just praying that, yeah, that that mantle of our lady and of our prayers will just cover you and, and keep you safe. That's the word that came to mind was safe. Like it feels like a very safe 
and secure place to be. And I know exactly what you're talking about, the image of Mary with like not all these saints in her mantle. And it's like this huge mantle. When I think of sisters, religious sisters, in a particular way, you are the heart of Mary in the church. Uh, you're a kind of tangible heart of Mary here on earth for us to experience. That's what it means to be loved by um, a religious sister in the world. It's it's kind of to be loved by the heart of Mary. So that image that you're that you're saying, like I think people do feel that. And I'm sure you receive a lot of prayer requests from people because of that, because um, at least when I think of like back home, like we know to give the prayer intentions to the Carmelites, like you want something Uh answered, you give (laughs) give the prayer intentions to the Carmelites. Yes, Um, yes, yes. So there is that, that sense of security. And it's, it's very beautiful to kind of like, just taste that like as a, as a Catholic in the world. And, um, I feel very blessed that I've been able to be in the presence of Carmelites since my conversion at 14. Um, But yeah, I think what I hope that people get out of this today, um, listening to this is that, you know, y'all are doing that for the whole church and the whole world. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's just such a special part of the kingdom that you've been tasked with. I think we're, we're kind of talking about these big picture things. You you started to kind of hint about all these little pieces that y'all wear, everything that you wear, uh, there's a prayer associated with it because there's a there's a spiritual reality that um, you're bringing to light basically with your prayer and with your witness in the world. So we kind of started talking about the mantle, um, one one element of this habit. But what other elements of the habits do you think we need to know about that that kind of highlight the Carmelite spirituality and the contemplative elements of the order? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. So for sure, the scapular, right? That's what we're really known for is our brown scapular. And probably many of you may have been enrolled in the brown scapular, even at your first Holy Communion. I know that I was, I don't know if you were. Um, I don't think I was that I remember. You weren't? Okay. Okay. See, I've heard of that. Actually, um, it was like a part of the whole first communion ceremony. So we went and received our Lord. Then we went back in the pew and father prayed the prayers and, you know, our parents put the little brown scapular over us, like right there during the first communion ceremony, Mm -hmm. which actually is, I think back on that. I mean, that's, that's so significant for me personally, but I think it's such a beautiful sign, um, that as we're receiving our Lord in the Holy Eucharist as the little ones first received Jesus, mm-hmm. that at the exact same time, it's like our blessed mother is just assuring us of her protection and her love and her care for us, that she's going to keep us close to the Eucharistic heart of Jesus. So I just think that's so beautiful. So the brown scapular has a long tradition in Carmel. Um, St. Simon Stock is really the one who made the brown scapular known. And many people are familiar with the little version, the little squares in the front and the back. And if you get one that's actually big enough, it'll have all the words on it, which, okay, in a nutshell, I'm going to summarize it here, but it basically just says that whoever wears the brown scapular will not suffer eternal fire, right? And those words came from our blessed mother to St. Simon Stock when she gave him the brown scapular. At that time, he was the father general of the order. It was going through a really hard time. And so they had actually already been wearing the brown scapular. And so she appeared to him. He had been praying to her. She appeared to him to reassure him of her love and her protection and that she would take care of everything. And when she did, she handed him the brown scapular. And that's what she said, that whoever Mm. was clothed in it, she would protect them and they wouldn't suffer eternal fire. And so from that point on, the scapular, because they were wearing it as an apron before, that's how they would use it, like wipe their hands on it. But Mm -hmm. from that moment on, when she appeared actually wearing the full Carmelite habit, then it was no longer just an apron, but it was actually a holy garment. So now it's a full holy garment. And so um, 
And that's what it symbolizes for us as Carmelites is our blessed mother just being clothed in her love and her protection and in her prayers, knowing that, um, yeah, that basically it, there also comes a, a responsibility with wearing the brown scapular. Mm. So the prayer that we pray when we put it on is asking our Lord to allow us to carry his sweet yoke and burden all the days of our life, mm. which is so beautiful, right? To pray with yeah. and to ponder that. Um, because knowing that, like you said, that we are meant to be a sign of our lady in the world. And, you know, with that does come a, a yoke of responsibility in a beautiful way, but it's a, it's a sweet yoke of the love, um, that we're meant to imitate that our Lord himself had. And that our lady also had, um, so we get to clothe ourselves in the scapular every day, knowing that she's protecting us and she's always drawing us back to the heart of her son, you know, throughout the day. So, so that's our scapular. With the scapular as well, one of the things that you will often notice Carmelites do is that we'll walk with our hands under our scapular. And that actually is meant to foster that life of prayer. So we're talking about how, you know, Carmelites are really, um, we focus on prayer. Like that's the gift that the Lord has given to Carmel, that charism. And so with that, there are a lot of different external practices that you can incorporate. So for mm-hmm. us, but also into your own life, that can actually help you to what we um, what we call recollect yourself, you know, and draw mm-hmm. all of your, your mind, your heart, your emotions, your senses to recollect all of those parts of yourself and draw them into the center of your heart and your soul where God dwells, right? To just like refocus yourself on his presence within. For us, those kinds of simple practices of just, you know, keeping our hands under our scapular when we're walking, there's something about that posture that um, really lends itself to prayer and recollection. We have more of a tendency, you know, sometimes, I mean, obviously right now my hands are kind of all over the place while I'm talking, um, but, you know, whenever our body is all over the place, it sometimes can lend itself to our mind and our heart and our emotions and our energies being in different places. And that has its place, right? Like there are moments when that's really helpful um, and we need to do that. But sometimes when we're praying, it can be really helpful to just have like that kind of a simple posture, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah. So that is a, it's a part of Carmelite tradition and also um, a penance too, right? Like sometimes when you're walking, it would be lovely. Like it would be great to just walk through the the cloister hallways, just kind of like swinging our arms and everything. But it's like, again, what's going to help us foster that beautiful spirit of silence and gentleness and recollection and prayer, Mm -hmm. and also not disturb our sisters too. Yes. So walking with our hands under our scapular is just a really simple, small way that we can also um, just like bring down distraction, reduce distraction so that even our sisters that were in the cloister with, that we're not distracting them and that they're able to be focused on, on their beloved as well in that interior silence. Sister, I loved what you said about the spousal silence. I think that's a beautiful phrase. I don't know if there's any other piece that that highlights this spousal silence. It's just such a beautiful um, concept. So can you dive deeper into that, especially regarding what you're wearing and how it fosters that? Definitely. I think actually the first thing that came to mind, we're talking about the spousal aspect of our vocation is our ring, right? Um, And there really is something beautiful about that because even though, you know, you wouldn't think about the ring as being a part that like fosters the the silence, but it actually, it really does. Because to be honest with you, every single time I feel the ring on my finger. So if my hands are under my scapula, I feel the ring um, or I'm looking at my hands and I, and I see the ring. 
it very regularly draws me into silence and awe um, to ponder the gift of my vocation as being a spouse of Jesus Christ. I mean, that is something in and of itself that on this side of heaven, I will never be able to fully grasp just the depth of that and the profundity of what that actually means and the gift that it is. And so there is a beautiful aspect of spousal silence that comes with, with wearing the bridal ring. And with that being said, so the ring is a really beautiful and important part of our Carmelite habit. And we don't receive this ring until we make our perpetual vows. So the difference between a sister that's in temporary vows, she looks exactly the same as I do. You wouldn't be able to tell a difference except for the ring. Oh, so wow. we, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we have temporary vows for six years in our community and you're fully a spouse of Christ. You know, you've said yes to him. It's just that every year you're renewing your yes, you know, for five years mm -hmm. and at the end of that sixth year, God willing, if that's what the Lord is calling you to, then we would make our perpetual profession of vows. And that is when, you know, during that beautiful ceremony, we actually prostrate ourselves in the sanctuary of the church while the litany of saints is being sung over us, right? Mm. Um, that just beautiful waves, those waves of prayer just washing over us as we're preparing to uh, make our total oblation to our spouse forever. Um, and so that's why the ring waits until until the yes is final and permanent and forever. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's a reminder of. It's it's our wedding ring, right, that we receive from mm -hmm. our beloved. And on our ring, you can't see it too well, but I'll see if I can get a little closer. So we have the Carmelite shield right there. You can kind of see it. Let me turn it this way. Um, our Carmelite shield is there. And um, so obviously within that shield, there's all of the different elements that represent the different spiritual aspects of Carmel. Um, but the ring does. It reminds us of that spousal silence. The other thing too, um, so the main part of the habit that we put on, it's called the tunic. So it's this piece. It's just, um, you know, this main piece of the habit. And you'll see oftentimes pictures, well, actually she's right behind me. <laughs> <Saint Therese. laughs> I wasn't even thinking about that when I came in here in terms of like, you know, her habit and everything. <laughs> it's very appropriate that St. Therese is right behind me wearing the mantle, wearing the scapular, all of everything that I'm talking about right now. Um, but you'll notice, so even in the photo there and with the sleeves I have here, um, it's part of the monastic tradition in the wearing of the tunic that the sleeves are very, very large, actually. And part of that, too, is that whenever we put our hands under our scapular, it's kind of like a folding of the arms that happens and our hands just kind of tuck right there into those little sleeves mm -hmm. like that. So you can't even see our hands or our arms or anything. So the tunic um, is also a reminder, you know, of that silence and clothing ourselves in the, the beauty of the silence, which is a part of monastic tradition, right, as we wear the holy habit. So so I would say that those parts are the ones that really draw us into that, the spousal silence aspect, but then also even seeing the veil too, like sometimes like, you know, because as we're walking, we also, um, to be recollected and silent, especially if we're in the halls of the cloister, we'll keep our, our head down and we call it custody of the eyes. And so that it's not, we're not looking all over the place and getting distracted by what we see and, you know, waiting for the next person around the corner that we just might want to talk to or whatever the case might be. But as we keep our head down and practice those custody of the eyes, it also does help us to keep that spirit of, of silence and recollection. Obviously, we acknowledge each other. We smile at each mm -hmm. other, all of that, you know, we pass one another. But but there's that beautiful aspect as well. And when we do that, especially I notice it a lot when I'm praying, um, you can see, I can see my veil, right? Mm -hmm. the, um, peripheral vision. And there's just such a sense of just being totally um, kind of covered and protected um, like as this bride of Christ, right, that um, enveloped in the love of our Lord and our lady and um, 
and yeah, it just reminds me. So it reminds us and it just fosters that deep spirit of, of prayer and silence. Yeah, you're really highlighting for me, at least as someone kind of looking in on this, it, it makes it makes me very aware of the fact that like, even though you live in community, there's a very singular aspect of the relationship that each of you have with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I mean, some of these elements, maybe particularly for you, the ring, like you were saying, like kind of helps you. I guess, uh, tune into that spousal relationship in still a very personal way. So that's very beautiful. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, um, yes. Are there any other prayers that you, that you would want to highlight, um, for the other pieces that you were talking about in terms of the prayers? I think we hit the, the main ones there, except for, so with the tunic, when we're putting on the tunic, it's, we're asking our Lord, um, to clothe us in order that, um, that we can be faithful to the call that we've received, right? So um, so we have that prayer, that basic prayer for the tunic as well. We didn't talk about the cincture last time, but the cincture is the belt that we wear. Okay, mm. so the cincture binds our tunic. Um, so when we put our cincture on, before we put it on, we kiss it and we ask our Lord to bind us to himself um, and just in that, the purity and the chastity that we're called to live, right? In mm. that pure and holy love. So we're asking to be bound to him in that charity. And so um, what actually is attached to the cincture that I would love to talk about is our rosary. So Carmelites, you'll see us with a big rosary and ours is, it's a very large rosary here. And it's special because for our particular community, our mother foundress is from Mexico. And so Mother Luisita, um, being from that part of the country, there's some trees that grow there. And so the beads that we have on our rosary are actually seeds from trees that grow in that part of Mexico. And so we get to drill the seeds and we get to do the whole thing. Whenever we receive the habit, we get to make this rosary ourselves, which is just a really beautiful and special part of the preparation. Yeah. Of receiving the holy habit. This is unique to our rosary that we wear. So most of the time, you're very familiar with having a crucifix at the end of a rosary. But for us, we actually have a Carmelite medal. And so you can see it's Our Lady of Mount Carmel is there in the center. Oh. I get closer. Uh, Our Lady of Mount Carmel is in the center. And then we also have St. Therese and St. Teresa on both sides of her. Oh, wow. This side is St. John of the Cross, our Holy Father. Oh, Saint wow. John of the Cross. So we have the Carmelite medal on the end of our rosary. And so um, people will often ask, well, you know, what about the crucifix? Like, where's your crucifix? You know, does Rosie have a crucifix? Yes, it does. We just wear the crucifix in a different place. Part of that has to do with the size of the crucifix. It'd actually be a little dangerous to have that huge crucifix on the end of our rosary because it'd be swinging all over the place. And yeah, just wouldn't be good. So already our rosary gets caught in a lot of different things. So the crucifix, we have him in a very significant place for us, which is right here over our heart. So our crucifix rests right here. Um, in our habit and we keep him over our heart and he's tucked away secret under our scapular. And so every morning when we're putting our holy habit on, we kiss the crucifix and on the back side of it, it's actually really special. You won't really be able to see it too well from there. Um, but we have our whole religious name is engraved on the back of our crucifix when we make our perpetual vows along with all of our dates. So the date that we entered Carmel, the date we entered the novitiate the date that we made our first vows, and then finally the date that we make perpetual vows. So all of that's there on our crucifix. And so we keep our spouse, our bridegroom right there over our heart tucked away. Yeah, I was thinking how uh, how beautiful it is that you kiss it every morning, how very Carmelite that is, just mm-hmm. the deeper meaning of that. Like even earlier when you're talking about death being like something that you almost welcome, not in a morbid sense, but in the sense that it's 
like a happy homecoming to be to be united with your with your bridegroom so yeah uh, both of those images kind of came together for me when you were mentioning that and oftentimes too you know you'll see saint therese pictured this way but um, one of the very foundational parts of a charism of a Carmelite is really to be with Mary at the foot of the cross. It is a beautiful de- devotional um, gesture to kiss a crucifix. However, for us, it's it needs to be more than that, right? Like it needs to be more than just us kissing the crucifix because that's what we do. We're actually kissing our spouse crucified because we're giving him permission. Like we're saying, like, I'm going to put myself there with you today. Like I freely and wholeheartedly like laid my life down on the cross with you through my my vows of poverty, chastity and obedience. And so that's a very sacred moment. And it's something that, again, you know, we, we don't want it to just become routine um, but it's an intentional gesture that we love our spouse crucified. And again, it's not to be morbid and just focus on Jesus on the cross. And, you know, but but at the same time, though, we know that that was the place of espousal. Like that's where he won the bride back. That's mm-hmm. where all of us as the bride of Christ, like that's where he won the bride back. And so because of that, it's like that is the place we want to be with him, knowing that if we're freely laying our life down on the cross with him, we are going to receive resurrection glory, not just in the next life. Yes, it for sure, fully in the next life, but even here now, right? We live the Paschal mystery with him. And that's why, so for us as Carmelites, just as our lady stood at the foot of the cross, interceding and offering the world to the heart of her son, it's the same thing for us as Carmelites. Like that's why we're there with her at the foot of the cross with our bridegroom offering the world so that that blood and water that gushed forth from his side will just drench everyone that needs to experience his mercy and his love and that conversion and healings. It's a very deep and a very powerful part of our vocation to be united with Jesus on the cross. Yeah, I'm like, fine, back to your sister. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. That was that was so beautifully put. And so powerful. I just have a feeling that this is such a spiritual feast to to gnaw on and and hearing it is something that you can really reflect on for a long time. So I mean, just kind of tying back into National Vocation Week, you know, for those who have uh, a call to some some sort of consecrated life, there's such a beauty here. Um but I think also that like this is such a universal message, right? That the Lord wants to marry his people. Right. Yeah, so we're can all you all the bride of Christ, even the guys, even the <laughs> yeah. guys are the bride of Christ. <laughs> I was gonna say, can you can you dive into that just as we kind of land this plane a little bit? I think that's that's just such a beautiful message, a universal message that we are the bride of Christ and we are all called to learn from people like you, like you're you're an image of of what that what that means, like the end times and I don't know. I don't know if you want to talk about those kinds of eschatological witness. Yeah. yeah. The eschatological yeah. witness. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I didn't tell you this is really humbling too, because as I'm sitting here talking, like I can say it right, but like y'all all have to pray that I can live it. <laughs> it's not it's not easy for any of us. You know, we're all human. We're all striving. Like we're all striving to be able to live faithfully. It's a gift to be able to share these deeper truths. Um with our Lord, um, espousing all of us as the bride of Christ. It's really true. You know, and when you think about like, what is a bride? Who is a bride, right? Like, what is like, what, what are one of the main, um, I guess you would say like distinguishing features of a bride. And one of those distinguishing aspects of being a bride is receptivity, okay? Like receiving the bridegroom, receiving everything from the bridegroom, and then reciprocating that love in return, right? And that that 
that bridal love and that outpouring of of self kind of like um the woman with the alabaster jar so at the feet of jesus like she experienced the love of the bridegroom she received him mm -hmm. and then poured her whole self out you know in return and that is like that is what a bride is called to be and so for all of us for the whole church Christ did espouse us on the cross. Like if you read the romances of St. John of the cross, which I encourage all of you to do, if you just go and read the romances, the first parts of it um, are deeply theological. There's a lot of Trinitarian theology in there, which is beautiful. And if it's too much, you can skip ahead a little bit <laughs> and go to the part of the dialogue between the father and the son, where the father is expressing to the son, my son, I wish to give you a bride. And you will hold her in your arms and she will burn with your love. I mean, the words are just so deep that it just, I mean, you could pray with that forever. It is, it's incredible, but that's exactly what happened. It's like when that rupture came, the first, the rupture, meaning like with sin, the rupture between man and God, mankind and God, the first movement of our Lord's heart was, I can't wait to win you back. Like I, like everything in creation was groaning. And so, yeah, so Jesus on the cross as the bridegroom, it's in that total oblation of the offering of himself on behalf of us, of sinners, um, the spotless victim that we were re-espoused to our Lord, our God, right? That in the beginning we had perfect union with. And so for us, like one of the greatest responsibilities that we all have, um, and this is actually a key element or aspect of discerning um, your vocation, anything, um, but especially vocation, is to remember that the bridegroom is calling every single one of us. He's calling, the bridegroom is calling you. And your biggest responsibility is not to grasp for the gift, not to figure it out, not to overanalyze it a thousand times, right? It's none of that. Like your, your biggest responsibility and all of that is actually to be the bride, whether you're a man or a woman, and to simply receive, receive the call as a gift. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to, to dispose ourselves to do that, it's like just having that, that bridal receptivity, just like open hands, right? Um, like at the foot of the cross, just receiving the gift that the Lord is giving to us, you know, um, he wants to provide everything, um, and that's part of bridegroom too, like that spousal element of it as well. Like he wants to be your bridegroom. He wants to provide for you. He wants to give you everything that you need to be happy. And we know that the thing that got us in trouble was the grasping, right? Like when Eve grasped, that's when we got into trouble. But he's asking us to, to keep our eyes fixed on him and to receive what he wants to give. And that is that there's a blend of prayer and action that goes along with discernment of a vocation for sure. Because remember that it's, it's the receptivity of the bride, but then she makes a wholehearted response to the bridegroom, mm -hmm. which necessitates action and necessitates taking a step in response to the love that she's received. And with that being said, you know, the next step doesn't have to be perfectly clear. <laughs> Okay. So that's, that's another aspect of it too. You know, with every call, we all want to do God's will. And if you're seeking God's will, he knows that, like he knows your good intention and he loves you so much. He's not going to let you go off the deep end, right? Like he wants to speak to you and to show you what he has in store for you 100%. And so with that, to be able to just remember to receive from him first, and not to be afraid to just take a step, okay? So what I tell the girls when they come on um, our discernment retreats here is, uh, you know, calling a vocation directors or going on a come and see is not final vows. <laughs> it's literally yeah. just going and opening your heart to receive whatever it is that our Lord wants to speak to you. And then we make a response of love in return. 
And the key word here in that receptivity is intimacy. Like he wants, but in the purest and most beautiful and holy way, because intimacy existed in the blessed Trinity before it ever um, had a physical manifestation in our humanity, right? Like intimacy first and foremost belongs to the blessed Trinity. And then there's the earthly marriage that mirrors that but it's properly like it belongs to God first. So, so there's a spiritual deep intimacy that our Lord wants with each and every one of us. Um, and then, you know, throughout our lives, we have to just keep opening ourselves more and more to receive that. So, yeah, that's so beautiful sister. Thank you so much for that. It was, it was definitely also felt like a word of encouragement for people discerning, which is yeah, a great sorry, way. I kind of naturally go into that because <laughs> Yeah, you're a vocation director. <laughs> okay. so. Oh, yes. Right now I'm serving in that capacity. So I just know there's a lot of encouragement needed because it can be, it can be a lot of fear, you know, and so many different layers for all of our stories. And our Lord is just, he's so tender and he's so gentle and he is so kind with us. And yeah, I would just say fear not. Like he's just such a tender bridegroom. So well, thank you, sister. Do you have any other things you want to say about any other pieces and how it highlights Carmelite spirituality? And then after that, can you close us in a prayer for uh, for, the, for us and the listeners? Just the last thing. Um, this is kind of just more a point of interest. It's a little difference, right? Um, with the habit, you and I had talked about this before, uh, Krista, but um, you know, when you see pictures of St. Therese, like the one behind me, the piece that's different is this piece up here. We look a little bit different, our community of the Carmelite Sisters of the Most Sacred Heart of Los Angeles. And the reason for that is because we are what you call an active contemplative Carmelite community. So St. Therese was cloistered, strictly cloistered, which means that she entered the convent and the rest of her life was spent within the walls of the convent of the cloister. And that's what it means to be cloistered. You enter the convent and you stay within the walls of the convent, right? For the rest of your life. But for us, our, our mother Luisita is our foundress and our Lord called her um, and gave her a very special charism, which was to take that life of deep intimacy and silence and contemplation, everything that makes up Carmelite spirituality and to combine it and blend it with an active life in the apostolate, which is just an incredible gift. But because of that, this part, so the band, this is what we call the band in our veil, that's why we have the band. So um, originally our habit looked just like St. Therese's when Mother Luisita first came across the border into the United States, but people got a little confused. <laughs> so uh, they thought that we were cloistered and we weren't. So through the years, um, the top part of our habit changed a little bit so that we were distinguished between the cloistered Carmelite. Just lastly with our habits, um, you know, the habit, it's such a gift. It's a beautiful gift. And in our community in particular, the habit is so special and so important because mm -hmm. our community was born during the Cristero movement, during the persecution mm -hmm. of the Catholic Church in Mexico. Um, and with that, our sisters, they would make their vows in secret, in hiding, in the habit. And then they had to immediately take the habit off and put on just regular clothes and be in hiding because the police were, were after them, right? And so as soon as Mother Luisita crossed the border into the United States with two other sisters, it was a very dangerous journey. They were risking their lives and they knew that. But as soon as they made it across safely, the first thing they did was kneel down. They put their habits on and they sang the Te Deum because they were in a free place where they knew that they could wear the habit and be safe, right? For us, it's just, it's, it's a gift. It's a gift. And it's an outward, an outward sign of a spiritual, a spiritual deep inner reality that we belong totally. We belong totally to Christ, right? And 
you know, when people look at us and they see there's something in them that knows innately that because we belong totally to Christ, we belong totally to them, right? So we belong totally to the family of God. Like we lay down mm-hmm. life for our spiritual children. So my life is no longer mine. It belongs to Jesus and it therefore belongs to all of his children. And so that's the gift, right? Like that's the gift. And as spiritual mothers, you know, when people see us, it's, they know that we're their spiritual mothers. Like you said, we get stopped everywhere. I mean, I prayed with people in the middle of the airport. I've got stopped. I mean, I can't tell you how many times the incredible yeah. encounters um, that I have with people, you know, receiving their hearts at all these different places and stages of their lives. And it's such a sacred gift for me. I I absolutely love it. I love being a spiritual mother. So um, yeah, so it's just, it's a gift to be able to, and humbling um, to wear the habit. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing all of that. I, I do, I do get a sense that people feel some sort of connection to the faith with these visible signs. Like if they see a priest or they see a sister out in public, they, they might say like, oh my gosh, you remind me of my teacher from Catholic high school or, you, you know, get that all the time. <laughs> or, uh, oh, I haven't seen a priest since I went to, you know, Easter mass with my family or maybe decades ago, I haven't seen a sister or whatever. So I, I do think it's important that you're seen and that people know that um, they sense that they belong to you because of that. Um, or they belong to the the church because of that. So um, yeah, they can find yeah. a heart, a, a home in our heart. That's the way I like to think of it. Love yeah. my heart to be a home, you know, for all the people who our Lord sends. So yeah, very beautiful. Thank you, sister. Thank you. This has been such a gift. Would you like to close us out in prayer? Sure. Thank you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father. We come before you as your beloved children. Father, thank you so much for shining your radiant face upon us and for thinking of us and so loving the idea of each one of us individually that you created us. And Father, we desire to give a total gift of self back to you just as your son Jesus did. And so, Father, we just ask, and I ask right now in the name of Jesus, that the graces that everyone who will be watching this or listening to this, all the graces that they most need, Lord, to be able to receive your love and to follow you, that you would pour out in abundance grace and blessing upon them, that they would be renewed in your love, And that anything that blocks them from receiving your loving gaze, that you would so lovingly and tenderly minister to those places of their hearts, Lord. And little by little begin to set us free. Blessed Mother, thank you for being with us and protecting us as our mother. And we entrust ourselves entirely to you and to your maternal care and protection. And we ask all of this in the holy and sweet name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, sister. Thank you. This has been such a gift.